0: You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily podcast on fantasy basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and as always you can find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore Beeble And I forgot to tell you that I am the lead fantasy analyst at basketballmonster.com. We're recording this uh, for Thursday's show. But of course, there is only one game on Thursday in the NBA playoffs, that uh, Boston-Milwaukee game. So there's going to be no DFS preview, no point in doing it for one game. Um, Our projections obviously are still up over on Basketball Monster, but won't be doing a a DFS preview show for just the one game. So what we'll be doing, and and we'll be splicing these in intermittently through the playoffs when there are these one-game days or your no-game days, is going back and having a look at the 2017 draft and having a look at those players, how they performed, what it means for their value moving forward, their potential roles moving forward, their dynasty fantasy value moving forward, and just breaking that up. And of course, we'll also be doing the full season recap podcast uh, after the draft lottery has taken place. So we'll be doing uh, that today, going through the first handful of picks. Not sure exactly how many picks I'm going to go through in today's show, but that's what we'll be doing in uh, in this show here today, just uh news that broke a little bit before we went uh, and started recording today is that Mike Budenholzer has mutually parted ways with the Atlanta Hawks. So obviously, the Hawks are now in the market for a new coach, and Budenholzer comes on the market along with guys like David Fisdale, Steve Clifford, looking for some of those job openings. So That's going to be really interesting to see exactly how that goes down. I talked about Budenholzer potentially being fired at some point yeah, months ago with how I saw things going in Atlanta. Um Obviously, he didn't want to be there. They didn't want him there. Mutual parting ways, as we've heard, and we'll see exactly where he ends up. And talk about that when it uh, when it actually goes down. But for today, today we're going back to last June and looking at this 2017 NBA draft. So, Michael Bolton, let's get to it. To it. Let's get to it. Indeed, as I said, we're going to start from pick one and work our way down. See how many we actually go get through in this podcast today. I don't want to go too long on you guys. So we'll start with, of course, the number one pick in the NBA draft. It was by the Philadelphia 76ers. And of course, it was Markel Fultz of those Philadelphia 76ers. It was not, uh, it was a weird season, obviously, from Markel Fultz with that strained shoulder injury. Was it actually injury? Was it a mental thing? You have to assume there's a large portion of it that was a mental aspect that caused Fultz to miss as much time as he did. He played only 17 Uh, Only 17 games. Actually, that's that's not even right. He didn't even play 17 games because some of those are including the playoffs. He only played 14 regular season games and 18 minutes per game. Not what you would expect uh, of a number one draft pick. Definitely not what we expected of him heading into the season. We expected him to be the starting uh, or starting guard at least and run a Simmons-Fultz Redick, Covington, and Embiid lineup. That wasn't the case. Uh, initially, it was Jared Bayless getting those starts, and then we had Dario Sharich move in to that fifth starter spot while Fultz was struggling. As I said, I am sure that a huge portion of what Fultz went through was mental. There is some rumor that potentially there was never any injury there at all. I'm not sure I 100% buy that, but he has been uh, out for He was out for a ton of time, quite clearly, and, and didn't make his return, which was surprising, until the 26th of March. But when he returned, I thought he looked pretty good. In fact, the last game of the regular season, he had a triple-double, the youngest player ever to have a triple-double, a 13-10-10 game with two steals and a block, and that's the sort of um play that did make him the number one overall pick. And I thought we saw lots of different flashes from Fultz during that time back that made you look at him and go, yeah, okay, I think that we can get where he's going to be, Uh, why he was the number one pick. Now, obviously, the shooting is still a concern. He took one three-pointer for the entirety of the season. So both Ben Simmons and Markel Fultz combined for zero three-pointers made during their rookie seasons, which is an absolute anomaly for two-point guards to not hit a single 3 And I think attempt only 12 combined, 11 for Simmons, one for Fultz. And of course, none of Simmons' ones were actual set shots, three-pointers. Fultz was a 40% three-point shooter at Washington uh, and obviously lost a ton of confidence there. But as I said, when he came back, he he did look... You could see why he was that number one pick. Shooting aside... He was able to get to where he wanted. He got shots when he wanted to. He was able to set guys up. He had a lot of moves off the dribble. He was fast. He was explosive. And it all augured well for what potentially could be coming down the, uh, down the pike for, for Markel Fultz. Now he's been, he struggled a little bit in the playoffs. He hasn't played the last couple of games against the Heat. Uh, although I you do have to give a shout out to the Sixers. Yeah. Winning, winning through there along with the Warriors. They now join the Pelicans as the three teams who are now through to the next round of the NBA playoffs. Fultz played uh, in game two, he played five minutes. In game th- three, he played four minutes, and then he didn't play in games four and five. So a little bit out, out of sorts there. But during the regular season, he averaged seven points, three rebounds, and four assists in only 18 minutes. And that four assists is a really encouraging number. Also, .8 steals and .3 blocks. You know, look at this over per 36 value. That's, that's 14, 6, and 8 with 1.6 steals and .6 blocks. They're really bloody good numbers. Shot 41% from the field. A really horrible, of course, 48% from the free throw line, but we do expect that to improve. Um, yeah, he's not, he's not a great free throw shooter and he wasn't a great free throw shooter at Washington, but he also isn't that bad. He's not a sub 50%, uh, three point shooter, which is the sort of, uh, numbers that he gave off there. Now, a couple of things I've been working on is doing some graphical representation of players' rankings. I'm going to introduce those for you guys watching here on the YouTube video. You can go and check out these, uh, these graphs that I've got up. The first one here is for Markel Fultz and it's his eight category ranking at the end of every week. So it's a cumulative per game situation. So you, you can see there, yeah, you know, he, he started the season around the 350 mark and then, you know, played a couple of games and then continually dropped as other players started playing and moving ahead of him. And he dropped down to all the way down to about the 480th ranked player, but in that last little stretch bumped himself up. Now these graphs for faults aren't really all that indicative. Just because of the huge amount of missed time that, that he did uh suffer throughout the season. So he pushed himself up to so being inside the top 350 by the end of the year. This other graph I've got here is a rolling average graph. So it's taking two-week samples every two days. So we start, you know, the season started on the 17th of October. So that two-week period through to the end of October. And then every two days, just going back and looking at the next or the last two weeks. And that's what all these dot data points are. So you can see he, how he started off low. Then there was that big stretch there in the middle where he didn't play. But when he did come back, and it's not reflected in that first graph because he has to make up for all that poor performance at the start. He got himself close to the top 200 in that stretch, which is not a bad area, especially when. Yeah, he's shooting so poorly from the free throw line. So there's a little bit... To, we'll, we'll gain more from looking at these graphs from other players who played through the season. But that little portion that he played there, there was there was enough indication there that made us think, okay, Markel Fultz can be a strong, strong player in this league. In terms of his advanced numbers, a PER of 12, uh, a true shooting of 42, which is obviously horrendous. Yeah, brought down considerably by that poor free throw percentage. But encouragingly, a positive defensive box score plus minus... Um, wind shares weren't ideal. His box score plus minus overall was a pretty big negative, but it's not, uh, not a horrendous picture considering how poor the season actually was. Finish at 66% at the rim, which is a really impressive number. And that's one part of the thing. That is impressive for him, is his ability to get to the rim, his ability to, uh, to get there and to finish there at, at a high rate is high. Now, from a, a combo guard, he's in the 90th percentile of getting to the rim, of, of finishing his shots there. 47% of his shots come at the rim, which is obviously good. And he's 54th percentile in terms of uh, percentage, which is not ideal, but it's, you know, it, it does, um, it's, it's obviously a positive. It's not a negative. But in terms of his shooting outside that 18th percentile on his, uh, oh, sorry, 11th percentile on his mid-range shots, which is really where he needs to work on. But another big positive was his assist rate, 85th percentile in terms of his assist rate and 80% on usage rate. So passing the ball, getting his shots in as well and really low turnover rate. These are all big positives that we can look at when we look at faults for the future. But, I guess what we have to look at with him is, is how does it fit in with this team and the future of Philadelphia? Obviously, yeah, JJ Reddick's, if he returns next, not Reddick's, that was me starting a sentence and not finishing it. JJ Reddick, does he return next year? Do they hit free agency hard and get guys? Do they attract LeBron? Do they attract Paul George? There are many different things that happen here, but I think Fultz has shown enough here. And with a solid off season, I can see him having a decent role, but I don't 100% think he's going to be playing 32 minutes a game next year. I can see him more in a 20, 22 minute per game role. But if he can get the three-pointer or the confidence back to take them, then those minutes can comfortably push up. There's Ballinelli's minutes, there's Reddick's minutes. Who knows what's going to happen with either of those guys. So there is an opportunity there for Fultz to push back into a role. And be an interesting guy. He was the guy who I had as the number one rookie for dynasty drafts. It didn't obviously turn out that way this season. I still feel pretty strongly about him. I don't know if he's going to be as good as Donovan Mitchell is. Alonzo Ball still has the significant top 20, top 15 upside for fantasy value. I think Fultz still does have top 20 upside for a guy that could average 20.7 assists, 5 rebounds, 1.5 steals, 1 block, and go at 46 and 72 or something like that. I think they're reasonable expectations for best case scenario for Fultz. Um, and, and, you know, he, he could maybe hit you 1.2, 1.3 triples, but that's the real key. Is can he hit those threes? Because it's going to impact his playing time, and then it's also going to affect his scoring and his three pointers made for fantasy perspective. So, I'm not locking him in as a top 100 guy for next season. I don't think that's uh, a prudent move at this point. But he could quite clearly get there. I'm just not certain that he is uh, in that spot just uh, just as we speak. But I think it was the right pick at the time. We'll see what happens with that other pick they traded away. But uh, some encouraging signs at the end of the season for Markel Fultz. Let's move on to pick number two in the 2017 NBA draft. And of course, that is Lonzo Ball of the Los Angeles Lakers. Lonzo is quite clearly a, um, a divisive figure. We know all the reasons why, numerous reasons. In fact, uh, the fact that he plays for the Lakers, the fact that his dad is a a great dickhead, all those things going against Lonzo in terms of Lonzo himself seems like a good kid, decent kid. He's had a few incidences during the year, you know, walking away from confrontations when, you know, not backing up teammates, not offering his support for Luke Walden, all that sort of stuff. But I think you get a feeling that a lot of that was, um, was blown up uh, a lot uh, at the time in terms of his overall performances, his fantasy performances, Lonzo was, was strong. He was the 59th ranked player overall, the second highest ranked, third highest ranked rookie behind Mitchell and Simmons. And this came, uh, while shooting at a horrendous true shooting of 44%, 36% from the field and only 45% from the free throw line. He averaged 10, 7 and 7, almost two, almost two triples, 1.7 per game, 1.7 steals and 0. 0.8 blocks. And that was the large appeal of Lonzo elite rebounding for the position, big steal numbers, big block numbers, big assist numbers, hits the threes, and he delivered on all of those things. We thought the field goal percentage might be a little bit better and would the free throw percentage, but clearly that wasn't the case for Lonzo. But to still be the 59th ranked player, despite shooting 45 from the line and 36 from the field and scoring only 10 points per game, just shows how strong he is in those other areas. I think that Lonzo is almost a lock for a top 30 spot next season. I think that he's got a significant chance to be a top 20 guy next year. Of course, I don't know how else is going to pan out into all my projections throughout August, but that's the way I look at him. I think he can be a top 15 guy overall. If he just gets to 41% and to 65% from the field and from the line, and that takes him to 12, 14, 15 points and averages 15, 7, 7, 1.7 and 0.8, all those other numbers, the same as what he did this year, then he's comfortably in that zone. And I don't think that that's... um, I don't think that's a crazy uh, expectation for what Lonzo can do. Sure, you can say the shooting needs work, and quite clearly it does. There's no doubting about that, but he is an impact player already. One thing we do have to worry a little bit about with Lonzo are the knee injuries. He had numerous injuries this year that limited him to 52 games. He missed 30 games during the season, and that is uh, somewhat of a concern for for Lonzo. We'll see if there's any lingering effects from that. What we'll do now is we'll try and have a look at how these graphs for Lonzo look. They should be a little bit more indicative than what things were for Fultz. And he started out the season fairly poorly there, you know, ranking in around the 90 zone and dipped down at the start of November to outside the top 150. But as you can see, as happens with most rookies, shout out to the rookie wall, which is bullshit, he improved as the season went on. It just continued to rise, and by the end of the year, we have his ranking there around that 60 mark, just a continual rising of his numbers. If we look at him in terms of consistency on the rolling two-week averages, you can see some interesting things there. Yeah, started off low, as I mentioned, a nice consistent rise up, and then as we get to January, he's, he's talking. we're looking at him as a top 20 player for a stretch He got injured, had some poor games here in January, missed some time, and then straight back into it and straight back into that top 20 zone. But then towards the end of the year, the shooting dropped way off again. And this, these two peaks that he had, at the start of January and in the middle of February was when his shooting corrected to 42-43%. And that shows how much of an impact that can have on his ranking. The shooting dropped back off and you see the numbers drop back down. So that's an idea of what his consistency was like during the year. Uh, the big swings and a lot of the time, especially with a guy like Lonzo, that is influenced by his, um, uh, by his shooting percentages. In terms of what his advanced numbers look like, you're very similar in terms of PER and true shooting with full to 12 and a half PER, a true shooting of 44. Both of those numbers well below average, especially the true shooting, which is really abominable. A very high assist rate, high, really high block and steal rate numbers, uh, usage rate below average at 17.7. And he was a very, very impactful defend- defender. A 2.5 defensive box score plus minus is absolutely fantastic for a guy like Lonzo Ball. It's for anyone, for any sort of point guard that is an elite number. Offensive, 0.8 or negative 0.8, which for a guy that shot as poorly as that, to have an overall box score plus minus of 1.7, which is in, I think, the top 60 all-time rookie seasons for box score plus minus, not the be-all and end-all. By the way, Simmons was 10th Ever in box score plus minus, but it is showing that he does have an impact in what he's able to do on the court. The Lakers were 1.2 points per hundred possessions better off with him on the court, Um and that's not surprising. But unlike Fultz, his finishing at the rim was really, really disappointing. His three point percentage not too bad, 31% from there. Yeah, hit 1.7 per game. But what what he did, uh, he he did need to. Yeah, he took those threes, but obviously the shooting percentage is a real issue. 18th percentile in two point percentage. 22nd percentage in three point percentage. Yeah, these are, these are not ideal numbers. Yeah, he was, uh, he got to the rim or 31% of his shots were at the rim. But he was in the sixth percentile of finishing there. So really, you know, you look over on shooting, shooting, uh, not shooting, cleaning the glass on their statistics. All of his shooting accuracy, accuracy percentiles are all in the red, which is bad. The highest percentile he is, is on his short mid-range shots, which is 34th percentile. So he's not higher there than, than, yeah, he's not better than average in any sort of shooting. Combination or shooting uh, discussion, which is which is a real issue. But then you go to his defense and rebounding stuff, and he's in the positive there. Ninety first percentile for combo guard is in blocks. Eighty third for steals. Um, Ninety six on his field goal percentage off uh, off all the opponents' field goal percentage off defensive rebounds. There's a whole bunch of stuff that he is really positive on, and that shooting. I don't think it's ever going to become good. I don't think it's ever probably even going to become average. It just needs to go from horrendous to below average. I don't think that he's ever becoming a 58% true shooting guy, but if he goes from 44 to 52, not an outrageous leap, then everything else gets unlocked for Lonzo and top 20 seasons will continue to roll out for this guy. The Lakers off season has a lot of uncertainty. We know the, the big, you know, cap space for two max free agent type talks. Does that mean that potentially Lonzo gets moved if LeBron doesn't want him there or in any of that sort of shit? I don't think that's going to happen, but it is an interesting scenario. I honestly think that Lonzo will be there and playing big minutes. He played 34 minutes per game this year. I can see him getting 35 to 36 next season and really, really upping these numbers and becoming a fairly, at the very minimum, a comfortable top 50 guy and more realistically, probably a top 30 player. He uh, had his moments this year of negativity, but in the end, I think that uh, what he did was encouraging enough to uh, to give you hope as a, as a fantasy guy if you did draft him. And if his owner in fantasy is down on him, which they may or may not be, some people may really overvalue the percentages, you can, uh, you can probably acquire him and get some real value in those other areas. Let's talk about pick three now in the draft. Of course, it is Jason Tatum of the Boston Celtics. Tatum, a guy who had uh, obviously an incredibly successful uh rookie campaign. We talked about him. Ad nauseum on the podcast, just about how, yeah, how ridiculously good his shooting was. He finished the season as the 72nd ranked player, averaging 30 and a half minutes, 14 points, 5 rebounds, 1.3 triples, 1.6 assists, a steal, and 0.7 blocks. And weirdly enough, most of those numbers are really quite in line with how I sort of looked at him from a statistical translation point of view. And just as a quick aside, I've gone through, I've done 160 prospect statistical translations. I know there are only 60 players who get, um, 60 players who get drafted, but there's two two two-way slots as well for each team. That's another 60 players undrafted free agents. So so far, I've done 160 different prospects for the statistical translations. And if you want to know who the number one guy comes out is, when everyone is normalized to 30 minutes per game, the number one statistically translated prospect is Luka Doncic. And he comes in. If he played thirty minutes as his projections held, he'd be a top fifty guy. So that's just something to pay attention to. If you've got any specific questions about how does this prospect look, how do they translate? And there's all I still have to do a ton of manual tweaking with all that. But this is just straight numbers to numbers translations based on statistical uh, and historical uh, precedent. If you want to know about any specific players, let me know, and, and I will uh, I will let you know about them. But at the moment, Doncic is the uh, clear number one guy that's coming out. Jaron Jackson right up there as well. But Tatum, he's just thoroughly average in nearly every category. His value bumped up a lot by his 43% three-point shooting. He was a 34% three-point shooter at Duke, and he was hovering around 50 for a long time. Long-time listeners of the podcast would remember, I think back in December, I said, if he continues to be a 50% three-point shooter, I'll shave my beard live on air. Clearly, that didn't happen. So this sucker's still intact. But he did, he dropped off, but still maintained an excellent level of efficiency. And they're probably the two things that I got wrong with him. I didn't think he'd be a 43% shooter because let's be honest, absolutely no, no one did at all. Uh, I didn't think he'd play 30 minutes per night because I assumed Gordon Haywood would be there. And I didn't think he'd be a 48% field goal per, uh, percentage guy. Now, I think there's a legitimate chance that there's regression from Tatum next season. Regression in his field goal percentage and his three-point percentage potentially his usage, which was only 19.6 this year when Haywood comes back, and maybe he loses a couple of minutes. We saw in a few of these playoff games, he's playing 26, 27 a night. Though All those things could realistically happen for Tatum next year. I don't think that that is an outrageous thing to suggest. If we have a look at how these graphs play out for him. Started out the season down around the 120 mark, but vaulted way up to be close to that top 50 number and stayed there for a long time. But Unlike Lonzo, you can see the numbers start to regress, and that's when he'd suffered that broken finger, but his three-point percentage started falling off a cliff, and he was down at 32%, 33% for this sort of stretch of time. And you can see the big, big drop-off there. There was a resurgence towards the end of the year when Kyrie went down, when Marcus Smart was out, and he was having to create a lot more. The usage bumped up for Tatum, and you can see those numbers rise to where he finished there, just outside the top 70 we have a look at his rolling average numbers, it's pretty consistent with that. He had these strong areas at the start, a big dip between December and February where his percentages dipped right off. And around the All-Star break, he was actually over those two-week periods was outside the top 250 and got himself back up right at the end. As you can see, a nice consistent run over the last month to... uh, three or, four, or three to four weeks of the season of around being a top 50 player as that usage increased. But we do have to remember Kyrie coming back, Haywood coming back. He will have the ball in his hands less next season than what he did this year. And there is that real chance of that shooting regressing. So they all th- are all things to, um, to pay attention to with Tatum. One of the things that when I looked at him coming in was that nothing, no one statistical category stood out to make him this awesome fantasy guy. Could he get you he would just get you average numbers, which is totally fine. And that's sort of where he ended up finishing. Just average in every category. 14.6 rebounds, one and a half assists, a steal, 0.6 blocks, 44%, uh, 78 free throws. Um, and obviously, that the percentages are increasing there and the points were higher. But everything else, that's sort of where he is. Now, where does he take this big step forward? Well, encouragingly, over the second half of the season, when the ball was in his hands more, his assist rate increased. And that's something where he can get that extra value. If he can go from a guy being a 1.7 assist guy to a 3.2 assist guy, that pushes him to top 50. And I think that he can do that. Can he ever become a high block guy? Probably not. Will he ever become a high steal guy? Maybe, because that's another thing that as the season progressed, his steal rate increased. In fact, over the last 12 games of the year, he was at 2.1 steals per game. So there's value there. So while we might see the assists bump up, we might see the steals bump up, we could also see that field goal percentage usage and three-point percentage drop for Jason Tatum. But there's no doubt it was a highly successful season. But in saying all of that, PR of 15, true shooting of 59, good PR, uh, uh, good true shooting numbers there. Um, defensively, he was really, really great, great as well. 1.5 box score plus minus as a rookie is strong. A positive box score plus minus as a rookie is always a great sign for the future. Huge win share numbers, huge win shares per 48 numbers. Uh On off plus 8.1, which is massive. So many advanced statistics are going in his favor for him to become a good player. Will that make him a good fantasy player? Or will he ever be able to crack into elite fantasy player territory? I have my doubts about that just because of the averageness of those other categories. But the encouraging sign is the assists. The encouraging sign is the steals. Can he bump them from 1.7 and 1 up to 3.2 and 1.5? I think that possibility is there, but we also have to factor the other possibility of the dip in percentages for next year. But I think that he can be uh, probably tops out as a top 30 player. Maybe and that's not for next year. I think next year he could regress to maybe a ninety guy. We'll have to wait and see about all that. But I think then then you push forward as the uh, as the season uh, as the seasons roll on and he can become that top thirty guy. But will he ever have that top ten ceiling that Mitchell and Simmons or top fifteen ceiling or top twenty season? The ball and Fultz have maybe not. Is he more likely to reach his ceiling than Fultz? Absolutely, he is. Can he be a more impactful player or more consistent player than Lonzo? Yeah, of course he can be. They're all the things that we, we look at with Tatum that, that, that are huge possibilities. Again, usage wasn't all that high for him. Uh, only 18.5% took you know, big chunks of his shots from, from outside uh, outside the three-point arc. Probably could have stood to take a few more from out there as well, just uh, 20, 26% of his shots, and that's in the 24th percentile for a forward. So, yeah, more, more improvement there, especially when he's shooting that well, but does that trade off occur? More attempts, does that mean a lower percentage? I think that's something we realistically have to factor in there also. He was also electric on his long twos, which is always, um, Oh no. Sorry, he took uh, sorry he took a lot of long twos, and he was pretty good in shooting them. He was in the ninetieth percentile for frequency of long mid ranges, and eightieth percentile in terms of hitting them. He was at 43 percent on terms of hitting his mid ranges. So that is an element of regression. He was also a below, well below average finisher at the rim, just fifty nine percent there, thirty fourth percentile for forwards, and he took yeah thirty nine percent of his shots there. In terms of, you know, shooting, he was 52% on corner threes, which is obviously ludicrously high. And again, numbers which should potentially come down. But given how well he shot from three and the fact that he didn't take enough shots from there, it's, it's a, it's a marginal, marginal, marginal red flag. And that's something we saw from him a lot in Summer League, taking tons of contested twos. They went in. And when I looked at it, I went, this doesn't feel like it's something that can be necessarily replicated. I look stupid because he did replicate it. And he still hit a lot of contested shots. But over periods of time, there is massive room for fluctuation in those shots. If you continue to take these bad contested shots, that could become a problem. So that's something just to pay attention to a little bit where that shot distribution is, how he's missing the easier ones at the rim and not shooting enough of the ones he's actually making from three. That could be a, a concern. And there is always that concern of what happens next season when we get uh, Gordo Haywood back and a fully healthy Kyrie Irving and whatever else happens with draft picks as such. And do they get the Lakers pick and add another top 10 guy? And there's plenty of question marks as to what Tatum's role is going to be in Boston next season. All right. I think we'll just do one more player for today's podcast. And that is pick number four in the draft. And that is Joshy Jackson of the Phoenix Suns. Jackson was the fourth pick overall, quite clearly, um, and I think was very disappointing to begin the season. There's no doubt about that. Just looked dumb on the court, stupid shots, immaturity, poor decision-making consistently. But over the course of the year, really did improve what he was doing. And as the Suns rolled their tank on and TJ Warren got hurt and Devin Booker got hurt, Jackson saw his minutes increase, his role increased, but along with that, his performance increased as well. Overall, he finished the year as the two hundred thirty eighth ranked player, played seventy seven games and twenty five minutes per game, and averaged thirteen, four and a half, and one point six. Only hit .7 threes, only had a steal and .5 blocks and shot poorly, another rookie with a true shooting of under 50, 48% with him. Massive usage, 26% usage, hit 26% of his threes. But I think it's more indicative to look back at Jackson and what happened over the second half of the year. The last 18 or the last two months of the year, 32 minutes, 19.5 points, six rebounds, 2.6 assists. steals and half a block and did it while posting a true shooting of over 50%. And while that might not seem like much, it's a big improvement of what happened earlier in the year. So got his steals up, which was something he was noted for coming out of Kansas. Got his assists up. averaged 1.6 for the year. The last 18 games, 2.6 assists. Something that he was able to do without Booker around. Get those assist numbers up and really started to show good numbers. And the biggest, the reason why in that last two month period, why he wasn't a top 100 player were percentages because he was such a high volume guy from the field at 17 attempts and 44%. But more importantly, shooting 68% from the line and 5.9 attempts, which is putting him into punt territory in that area. And that's why you know that ranking looks uh, as it does let's bring up his uh his ranking graphs. you can see he started off quite poorly and then got worse and worse uh through the first couple of months of the season. you're know, really bottoming out there by at the start of January he was down around three hundred and fortieth but since uh, after that point things started to click and you can see his rankings start to jump up and you know, end up around that down uh, low two twenties in terms of where his final ranking ended up again rookie wall. If we have a look at this on the rolling two-week averages, again, it's a similar sort of pattern. Started off you know, poorly, had a couple of nice games, and fell right off. And then we have the wild fluctuations in his rankings based on how the shooting's going, mainly on the free throw percentage. But the encouraging part here is over the last month to six weeks of the season, we're seeing multiple two-week periods or multiple data points of him being a top 100 and even inside the top 50 player, a top 50 spot In the rankings there. So that's really encouraging. Of course, we do have to temper it because there was no Devin Booker. There was no TJ Warren. And I think that next season, Josh Jackson will start over TJ Warren. He will play 30 plus minutes per night, and hopefully he can bring that playmaking, that increased defensive presence, and the ability to hit shots at a higher rate through the season. But even in saying that, he still only hit 25% of his threes in that post-All-Star period, and that was the big concern. Poor shot selection, poor long shooting. Happened at Summer League, happened all season, happened at Kansas. One of those things that hasn't been removed from his game. So we'll have to see how that all pans out. With Joshie Jackson, in terms of some of his advanced numbers, a PER of 11.8, yeah, that's obviously not good, lower than Lonzo Ball, lower than Markel Fultz, another true shooting of 48%, but defensively, I thought he played well, but it doesn't reflect in the stats. In fact, his box score plus minus was very disappointing, a negative 4.3, a negative defensively, a negative offensively. In fact, his win shares per 48 were a negative, which is very hard to do. League average is 0.1, and he was negative 0.01. Now, of course, the Suns aren't winning many games. Um, some of that's on him, and he's a contributor to them not winning games. Of course, they weren't trying to win games. Teammates are out, so I'm not putting massive amounts of stock into that. But one thing I don't like is the fact that the team was six points per hundred possessions better off with him sitting on sitting on the on the bench. So they were they they were clearly better when he was on the court. Uh, sorry, when he was on the bench versus on the court, which is never a, a great sign for a player. What's Jackson's overall upside is is the question. Can he be a consistent top 50 player? I'm not certain about that. I think he's clearly got the potential to do that. Can he ever be a top 10 guy? I'll probably say no. Can he be top twenty or top thirty? I reckon that might even be pushing it. I think he's going to be a sixty to eighty sort of guy as a peak. Maybe he can be. A, maybe he can have one or two years as a top fifty player. But it's all going to come down to shot selection and then hitting those shots at a, at an appropriate rate, which is clearly not something that he is at at this point. Really does need to work on being able to hit those shots and hit them uh, at a better rate. Now, in terms of Usage rate, yeah, you know, really, really high. 94th percentile. That's massive for a rookie who was taking on, yeah, you know, such a, such a huge, huge load. But also encouraging is his assist rate for a forward was in the 78th percentile. So he is working on that distribution. And as I said, that improved a ton as the season went on, which is always a positive thing. He was uh, assisted on 44% of his shots, which is 98th percentile. So self-creation, very, very limited for, for Joshy Jackson. So that's something that he is going to have to work on. Uh, didn't take very many threes, fair enough, because he wasn't hitting them. Uh, probably took a few too many mid ranges, 38% of his shots there. 42% of his shots at the rim was strong, but again, poor finishing, which is a, a, such a common refrain from these rookies. Only 56% at the rim, his uh, three-pointers were were horrible, only 26% on corner threes, that's got room to improve, clearly. 40, uh, 35% on his mid-ranges, all of his shooting, as we know, was was very, very poor and need to, needed to improve, but a high steal rate, a decent block rate. And you get those steals and blocks happening. They are really good keys to uh, to fantasy success. It's just about percentages, and it's one of the reasons why I like to punt at least one percentage. It's why Kyle McEwen talks about punting both percentages, is because those numbers are so fluctuable. And I don't think that's the right word, but they can move all the time. And we see that in those weighted two uh, two week average graphs, how they go up and down. Just if you have a bad, a real cold streak then your ranking just completely dips. And those two numbers are the most, the field goal and free throw percentage, they are the most volatile. And that's why ignoring them can often be a beneficial thing when talking about fantasy value. So overall, I was pretty down on Jackson. I I had John Isaac ahead of him in drafts. I still believe that Isaac will be a better fantasy player and probably a better real life player. But Jackson's overall ability to provide offensive uh, ability, uh, to score, as we saw at the end of the season, still needs to work on his self-creation, but his ability to score, his ability to up his playmaking up his defensive stuff towards the end of the year when the focus was put on him as a rookie was extremely encouraging. He has to fit into a team who's potentially getting the number one pick, who's getting Devin Booker back, who's getting uh, TJ Warren back. So there's going to be a reduction in his role potentially uh, in terms of usage, but I still believe that he starts and TJ goes into a 24 minute or 25 minute role per game. Next season, it's going to be very interesting to see how whoever the new coach is uses him. And that's the other problem is can he coexist with the coach? He is a noted dickhead, and that's always a concern. Dickheads can have problems. We've seen that. Marquis, Chris, Hassan Whiteside, Lance Stevenson. These can be concerns. So out of these guys we're talking about, Fultz, Ball, Tatum, the three guys we talked about, I have Jackson you know, below all of these players in terms of fantasy ceiling. Uh, I have all, if I had to you know, do a redraft of this draft, for, uh, just of these four guys for Dynasty, I'd pick him as the fourth guy there. I think his ceilings are lowest. I think his floors the most shaky, but he showed enough late in the year to show us, you know what, this guy can be good. And just look at his last six games, 23, five and a half and two and a half, a three a game, two steals a game, 0.8 blocks in 36 minutes, 44% from the field and 30% from three. That's really good. The free throws still a concern, and I'm not really sure they'll ever become better. But everything else, you know, big improvements happening there. And he could very easily have top 50 years. So overall, those top four picks, with the exception of Fultz, were extremely promising and had big, big, you know, stretches of games where they were good. And Fultz even showed those flashes late in the year that definitely got us encouraged. All right so that's uh, I'm going to wrap that up for today's show that is the first of the draft recap podcast covering those first four guys obviously tons to say about them because their their ceiling is huge their performances were big for the most part, and lots to talk about. We'll be back uh, for Friday's podcast, back to another DFS show for the playoff action for Friday's game, so stay tuned for that. And don't forget, if you are listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, a five-star rating is an excellent way to support the show. Go leave a review as well. Shout out to everyone who has done that. Really do appreciate it. You can also find us on Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, and make sure that you are looking at us on YouTube, and you can go check out my sexy graphs over there. Give it a thumbs up, subscribe, subscribe, comment as well and let me know if you want to hear any of that prospect information that, I've, um, that I'm working on at the moment you can do that by hitting me up on twitter at redrock underscore B-ball. check out the rest of the Locked On Podcast Network at LockedOnNBA.net also and LockedOnSports.com and of course Basketball Monster we've got our DFS playoff projections BasketballMonster.com we are done here guys thank you so much for listening everyone see ya Cornette.